Welcome to The Compass, the weekly podcast ministry of Calvary Baptist Church of Fayetteville, Arkansas. We're thrilled that you've chosen to download and listen as we continue our series called From Rags to Riches, taken from the pages of the letter to the Ephesians. Do you live in Northwest Arkansas and need a church to call home? Let me take this opportunity to invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 1030 a.m. at 1410 North Porter Road of Fayetteville. If you have any questions about the Word or about our ministry here in Fayetteville, let me encourage you to reach out. You can find us at 479-442-4634 or through email at info at calvaryfayetteville.com. On today's podcast, Pastor Kirk is sharing again from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3-14. through 14. Now, due to a power outage at the church, there is a gap in the audio, but we wanted to go ahead and share this message with you today. So we just encourage you to listen through that. Uh, God has a word in there for you today. Let's listen together. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 1. The text has already been read. Uh, You know that it's already been read for the last three Sundays. Today, number four. We've really spent a lot of time in this one section of Scripture. Lord willing, this will be the last Sunday. We'll move on. Um, But I hope and pray that um, the 202 words in the Greek New Testament uh, comprised of what we know as verses 3 through 14 uh, in our text, uh, that these words have made an impression, and even more than that, an impact uh, upon your life. Now, before I get into the message today, I want to make one change of plans today, all right? This is the second Sunday of the month. It is the time for our monthly prayer meeting, and I appreciate so very much over the last year uh, the lead that Pastor Dan has taken in this when we've done our prayer meetings online uh, by way of uh, Facebook Live and uh, our shepherd leaders and others who have been a part of the prayer service and helped lead different parts of the prayer service. Today, we had planned to begin to meet back here uh, for our prayer time, back to a little more normal uh, plans, and we had set it a little early today at 4 o'clock. I'm not going to ask you to come back at 4 o'clock today, but I'm going to ask you to commit to pray uh, at 4 o'clock, if at all possible. And if for some reason that doesn't work in your schedule, then sometime after the time we dismiss today, uh, make a conscious effort to spend a few minutes in prayer uh, for our church family, for God's will to be done in us. We actually have a printed prayer guide uh, that it's at the Welcome Center we were going to use. Get one of these before you leave today. It is praying uh, Ephesians chapter 1. Half of this chapter, the part we're going to get into next week, Lord willing, is a prayer. And in fact, almost half of the book of Ephesians of the six chapters uh, are prayers. And so we want to use Ephesians chapter 1 as our guide for our praying and certainly pray for one another, certainly pray for the sick, certainly pray for our missionaries, certainly pray for all the many needs that we have, but don't limit your prayers to that. In fact, our prayer time should most of all and first of all be for spiritual needs, for spiritual blessings, for God to do inwardly what only God can do. And these uh, verses from Ephesians 1 will help you do that. So before you leave today, Pastor Dan, at the end of the service, you remind people to get one of these, all right? You be sure to get one of these at the Welcome Center. Take it with you and use that uh, for your prayer time today. And I do want to say and acknowledge it is so good to have Miss Velma back in services, to have Miss Billy back in services. You just lift up thanks in this way to the Lord for them. Would you do that? Amen. Let me ask you a question. What was God doing before he created the world? You ever thought about that? I know this idea of eternity, that God did not have a beginning, that God has always been, that God will always be. 
is kind of hard to grasp. It's kind of hard for, I don't think our minds have the ability to uh, take that and to truly understand it, that God always was. He's without beginning. He is without end. It's one of his attributes. He is an eternal God. Well, what was God doing to pass the time? Oh, wait a minute. There wasn't time in eternity past, right? What was God doing before he had a universe to manage or to take care of? What was God doing before he created uh, the Milky Way galaxy and before he created our solar system and set all of these planets and moons in circulation around one another and around our sun, which by the way, wouldn't you like to turn it down just a few degrees? Well, God knows what he's up to and that's the price of living in paradise, Northwest Arkansas, is sometimes it gets cold colder than we would like it. Sometimes it gets hotter than we would prefer, but that's just the way God has done things in his wisdom. But before he had all this to keep up with, before he had between six and seven billion people to try to keep his eye on, which by the way, he does that magnificently, perfectly. But what was God doing in eternity past? Well, most of anything that we would come up with would just be guesswork because the Bible doesn't give us a great degree of detail about what God was doing before he created the universe. But the Bible does give us some insight. We do know one thing in particular that God was doing before he created the universe and before he created man. And it's going to be on the screen here. In eternity past, before time existed, God was making provision for lost sinners. God, there it is. God was making provision for lost sinners. Even before he created a perfect Adam and Eve, God had already provided for the eternal salvation for Adam and Eve and for their children. For God knew that Adam and Eve were going to rebel and bring sin into the world and that sin was going to be passed on the whole human race. And even before time began, God was making provision for lost sinners. In what way? Let me give you just two or three examples. This is going to lead us into our text and our message today. John 17, 24 says this. Jesus is praying here, by the way. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. So Jesus was loved and given glory by the Father before time began. Also in that verse, we find that God, the Father, had given some of the human race to Jesus to be his followers, okay? So Jesus was loved and given glory by the Father before time began. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 through 20, the Bible, speaking of Christians, says this, you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world. So what is that telling us? It's telling us that Jesus was a lamb slain, a perfect lamb slain for the sins of mankind even before man was created, even before the foundation of the world. In eternity past, when there was nothing or no one except God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Jesus already stood as a lamb slain before the foundation of the world. 
and we read these words in the last book of the New Testament, the book of Revelation, chapter 13, reading about the end of time, and especially here about the Antichrist. These words, now listen closely. And all who dwell on earth will worship, will worship the Antichrist. Listen now. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. What is he saying there? He's saying there's going to come a day that this Antichrist, this world leader that is Satan incarnate, just like Jesus was God incarnate in flesh, this man, this Antichrist, is going to be worshipped by the whole world, by everyone except, except those whose name has been written in the Lamb's Book of Life. So what do we know from this? We know that the names of God's people were written in the Lamb's Book of Life even before the world was created. Now folks, those are just three very simple truths that refer to something that took place before the foundation of the world. Before the universe was created, Jesus was loved and given glory by his Father. He was given some people to be his own, to be his followers. Jesus, even at that time, was recognized by the Father and by the Holy Spirit and by Jesus himself that he would be the lamb, the sacrificial lamb, the perfect lamb that was going to die for the sins of the world. And not only that, but there was going to come a time and a time later on in time and space, towards the end of this universe or of this world, that there were going to people be people worshiping the devil incarnate, but those who are not are those who had their name written down in the book of God before God created the world. Rick Priest, your name was written down in God's book before time began. Amanda Swope, your name was written in a book. Don Williams, your name was written in God's book. Miss Velma, your name was written in God's book. Brother Ken, your name was. Brother Steve Hignat, your name was. And everyone here who has chosen to follow the Lord. Paul began with God and moved towards man. He began with God and his will and his purpose and his plan as the one who is the Lord of the universe, as the one who is the sustainer of all life, as the one who is the creator of life, the giver of life, and also the one who is the taker of life. He is the prime mover. He is always first. The story begins with him and then moves to you and me, not vice versa. Okay, have we got that? And so with all of that in mind, we find that this passage is spoken to us. It's given to us in such great words about God's lavish grace about God fulfilling his plan and his purpose. And we find in this passage, we find a phrase that gets repeated. I've brought it to your attention in the last few, few weeks. I hope that you caught it as it was being read today. When, when God repeats something in Scripture, understand, that is added emphasis. Now, true, all God has to do is say something one time, and it's truth, right? Just once. But if he says something repeatedly, then there must be significance to it. Just like those verses I read a moment ago, they kept referring to before the foundation of the world. We find many such repetitions in Scripture. Our call to worship today used a variety of words to say the same thing that we should seek to lift up the Lord. We should declare His praises. 
We need to uh, ascribe to him praise and worship. So repetition is important. And we find in verse 6 this phrase. If you haven't underlined it in your Bible, uh, I would encourage you to do so. Underline in verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace. What, why praise his glorious grace? Well, he's talking there about how the Lord has adopted us as sons and daughters according to the purpose of his will. Well, praise to his glorious grace on my behalf. In verse 12, you have the phrase, to the praise of his glory. To the praise of his glory. He's speaking there about the result of our having placed our hope and confidence in Christ. Then in verse 14, the last few words of that paragraph, to the praise of his glory. For what? That we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, that the Holy Spirit is our down payment on heaven, that because the Spirit of God has marked your life, has stamped your life with his presence, you had the guarantee that everything else God has promised is going to come your way one day. Your glorious inheritance. To the praise of his glory. To the praise of his glory. To the praise of his glory. Well, sometimes I think we can read phrases like that and they kind of go in one ear and out the other. What does it mean? What does it mean? Beloved, if you are a child of God, your task is to live every moment of every day to the praise and glory of God. That is your calling. That is your privilege. That is your opportunity to live to the praise of God of his glory. Well, let me ask three questions and seek to answer them. First of all, what is the meaning of glory? What is the meaning of glory? Glory is a doctrine of God's word. There's a doctrine of glory. You can begin in Genesis and go all the way to Revelation, and you're going to find the theme of God's glory all through Scripture. You're going to find manifestations of his glory and people seeing his glory. When Moses was in the presence of it and came back down from the mountain to the people, his face was shining with the reflection of God's glory. And as he began to dim, they put a, put a scarf over his face so that it could not be seen as the glory faded from his face. There's so many examples. The apostles, Peter, James, and John, saw the glory of God on the Mount of Transfiguration. The apostle John later in exile on the island of Patmos, he was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, and he saw the glory of God. Well, when we talk about God's glory, what is it? Well, let me just give you a definition. It's probably too long for you to write down. But listen to what it says. The glory of God is the magnificence, the worth, the loveliness, and the grandeur of his many perfections, which he displays in creative and redemptive acts in order to make his glory known to those in his presence. His glory is his magnificence, his worth, his loveliness, and his grandeur of the many perfections of who he is. In the Old Testament, the word is kabod, and it means weight or heaviness, which seems to carry with it not the idea of physical weight, but in the idea of, of worth. Just like if you had uh, a bar of steel in one hand and you had a bar of gold in the other hand, one would be far weightier even than the other because of its worth, because of its value. And the idea in the Old Testament of God's glory is God's weight, His heaviness, 
his significance. It also means honorable, dignified, exalted, and revered. In the New Testament, it's the word doxa. The word doxa. And it means to esteem or to hold in high regard. It means to praise. Doxa is where we get our word doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise God all creatures here below. Praise, what does this go from there? Praise Father, anyway, Son and Holy Spirit. I guess I shouldn't try to sing something if I can't get the whole verse out. I could probably sing you every word of Hotel California, but sometimes I can just miss out the doxology. That's just how worldly I am. I shouldn't have said that. God's worth and therefore God's praise. Because of who God is and because of what God has done, then we should live in such a way that with our lips, with our actions, with our thoughts, we should continually be in a state of exalting and lifting him up. Does that mean we should never leave a worship service? No, it doesn't mean that we live in a continual assembled worship service, but it means that we know and we recognize that we're living in the presence of God all moments of every day and that we're seeking to lift him up in our choices and in our actions. Every attribute and action of God is stunningly beautiful in every way. All of the characteristics of God, all of the accomplishments of God, they are all totally perfect. Even when God allows horrific things to happen in the world, we can rest in the assurance and in the confidence that ultimately all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And because God is glorious in every possible way, he alone stands in this vast universe as the only one who is worthy of the worship, surrender, and love of every human heart. The doctrine of glory is this. God and God alone is worthy of everything you have and everything you are. That he is of greatest value of anything in the universe more than silver or gold. And that we should live in such a way to bring him doxa, to bring him glory, to bring him praise with our lips, with our worship, with our hearts, with our uh, thoughts, with the works of our hands, we should live all of life to the glory of God. Okay, are we all right so far? We're over the little episode a while ago. You're not over the Hotel California part, but I'm talking about the light part. Okay, what is the glory of God? It is his worth and his value, his worthiness of worship. Second question. Why does glory matter? Why does glory matter? Now, folks, we could take uh, weeks here, but I want to give you five truths and explain to you why glory matters, okay? Five implications of this doctrine of glory that God... Because of who he is and what he has done, he is worthy of our worship and praise every day. Five things you need to know. Number one, you and I are hardwired for glory. The way God put us together, the way God put Adam together when he reached down and he began to scrape up together the dust, the dirt of this created world and to shape and to form the first man with his hands to take dirt and make a liver, 
to take dirt and make kidneys, to take dirt and make eyes, to take dirt and to make a tongue and lips and a nose that smells and hair that grows. When God created man and created the human form and then in order to give him life, to kneel down and to breathe out of God's lungs, whatever that is like, to breathe into that form of dirt and to breathe in the breath of life, man becomes a living soul. Not a body that happens to have a soul, but a living soul that happens to be in a human body. Let me tell you something. God could have breathed that human soul, that living soul, into a tree if he'd have wanted to. And it would have been an eternal creature as a result. He could have breathed it into a rock if he'd have wanted to. But he saw fit to breathe it into a human being and make human beings living souls. And then from the rib of that first man, he removed it and he created a woman, a counterpart, a completer to man, a complement to mankind, both ways that works, not less than, but equal to in the eyes of God. Equal to, but listen to me, not different or not the same, very different. Not to be chosen by whatever we decide we want to be. But male and female, he created them. That's what the scripture has to say. And that is eternal truth. And man can take a vote and he can make laws and do all the things he wants to squall about. But it's not going to change the truth that male and female he created them. And he intended for them to bring glory and honor to his name. So God made man. And when he breathed life into man that that living soul, man becoming a living soul, a part of that is that he hardwired human beings for glory. We were made to appreciate that which is beautiful, that which is glorious, that which is great and beyond the norm. Whether it is an exciting movie or whether it is a sports game, we've had a few of those lately, have we not? or whether it's a beautiful piece of music, or the best meal ever. We were, we were created in such a way to appreciate that, and to recognize that, and to be stirred by that, and to be moved by that. By contrast, listen to me, animals don't have that. They don't appreciate glory. They were not hardwired for glory. I know you love your precious little kitty cat or your dog. And if yours is like mine, he is unusually intelligent. Okay? But understand, they don't appreciate. They can't appreciate glory. In fact, Jesus, uh, in God's Word, actually not Jesus' words, but over in the book of Proverbs, we have uh, uh, that contrasted in a very interesting way. One of my favorite Proverbs. Proverbs eleven twenty two, that a beautiful woman without discretion is like what? Do you know? A beautiful woman without the discretion of how to dress and how to conduct herself, a beautiful woman without discretion is like a gold ring and a hog's snout. God said it, I didn't. Put a gold ring in a hog's nose. Is it going to change that hog's behavior? Is it going to cause him to feel like he's beautiful? Is it going to cause him to hold his head a little bit higher? He doesn't know anything about that. It's such a contrast. You know, you can, you can, you can get your, your dog all hair all cut in, in pretty ways and smell good and put a bow in their head, but the first chance they get... They'll run to the nearest mud hole or they'll roll around in something they shouldn't because they don't appreciate glory. They don't appreciate glory. But human beings are hardwired for that. Now tell me when you watch uh, 
some great event, whether it's a sports event or a musician. I, you know, I grew up on music like most of you that, that we don't listen to so much today, right? But didn't you used to envision yourself just being on that stage and thousands of people, you know, chanting? Yeah, I know you do. Don't act humble about that. I've moved on from those groups to like Andrea Bocelli. I'm going to tell you, I see that man standing there and singing, I just cry. I just do. You think what you want to of me, but I find myself thinking, man, if I could do that. I kind of put myself in his spot. I'd like to be able to bless people like that. I'd like to, because we're hardwired for glory. When you see a, a runner running and setting world's records, or a pole vaulter soaring through the sky, or when you see a, a, a hero on the football field or the basketball court, do you not just imagine what that would be like? Let's just put the picture up, okay? Let's just go ahead and do that. Thank you. We've been playing a little baseball lately, right? Now, that's not Arkansas. We know that. Those are the Cubs, and that's David Boat rounding third base after hitting a walk-off home run to win the game. And look, he is in the midst of all of his glory. This is what he grew up dreaming to do, isn't it? And I see that, and I think, I want to be him. I'm just hardwired for that. Look at his teammates. They can't wait till he gets there. This is one of his greatest moments. We are hardwired for that. We love that. It makes us stand and it makes us scream. Didn't you jump up last Monday night and yell like a wild person when Charlie Welch hit that home run over the fence at Baum Walker Stadium? I'd already yell my lungs out right before it when we scored on the wild pitch. But when we had that exclamation mark that Charlie Welch hit that ball, Man, I'm up in the air. I'm going to beat Charlie Welch when I grow up. Doesn't matter that he could be my grandson. I still plan to be him when I grow up. We are hardwired for that. Well, let me give you another truth about God's glory. God created this glorious world to point us to his glory. Why does God give you that beautiful sunset? Why does God give you those reflective moments maybe where you see the beauty of his creation? Or you hear the beauty of a composition or of a song that the words and the melody together just stirs your heart. God hardwired you for glory and God created this glorious world to not point you to the glory for yourself but to point towards him. All of these are pointers. All of these are a, like a spiritual GPS that points us to the only glory that will ever satisfy our hearts, the glory of God. To get caught up in a glorious sunset and not think of God, to get caught up in some other glorious experience and not let it take your heart to God. It's kind of like driving down the interstate highway and about 30 miles short of Orlando, Florida, seeing a sign for Disney World and pull over on the side of the road and get your kids out and just have a big hi-ho time around the sign that says Disney World. You're not even there yet. It's just reminding you. Don't stop at the sign. When there are things in this world, that wonderful meal that just, just does something to your taste buds, that beautiful sight, that beautiful sound, that amazing smell, that amazing blessing of someone doing something for you or you see someone doing something for God and it touches your heart, keep going. Quit looking at the sign and let it point you to the one who is worthy of the glory. Amen? God created this glorious world to point us to His glory. A third truth is this. Only God's glory can satisfy the glory hunger in our hearts. We are all hungry for glory, and we try to satisfy it in this world, 
But the only one, the only way it'll ever be satisfied is in God's glory. And when God's not in the picture every single day, if God is not the, the pole star that, that gives everything else alignment, if God is not the one that we're focused on, if he's not the one that we are moving towards, then all the other efforts as we chase down glory are going to be a disappointment. The hunger for glory will never, ever be satisfied with created things. You can't get enough stuff in this life. You cannot have enough experiences in this life to satisfy the hunger for glory that your heart has. Only God can. Truth number four, sin turns you and me into glory thieves. Sin turns you and me into glory thieves. Instead of God being given the glory, we seek to step in and take the credit for everything we can. The original design was for human beings to live in a glorious world and exist in perfect relational harmony with a glorious God. But sin corrupted that design. And now you and I, more than anything else, have a desire to live for ourselves. Gather more stuff together. Pile it higher and deeper, thinking somehow that our stuff or our experiences or our fame or our recognition or having our desires met in some way is going to satisfy our glory hunger. But it will not. That's sin. Number five, God's grace alone has the power to cure our glory dysfunction. <clears throat> we are dysfunctional in the area of glory. Because of sin, we seek it rather than giving it all to God. Only God's grace has the power to cure that in our lives. Did you know that Jesus Christ, when he was nailed to a cross, when he underwent all of the torture that he underwent paying for your sins and my sins, that wasn't just for some big bad sins. You and I tend to think of other people needing that more than we do. But I'm going to tell you something. Jesus was nailed to a cross so that your problem with pride could be taken care of. So that your problem with putting yourself first could be forgiven. So that your problem and my problem with wrong thoughts with self-glorious thoughts so that all of that could be forgiven and we could be saved. And only God's grace. And when Ephesians chapter 1 talks about He lavished upon us His grace and that we should be to the glory of His, or to the praise of His glorious grace, it is so that our, our glory dysfunction could be fixed so that we could unselfishly live for the glory of God alone. And number six, the last point of that, well, I'm sorry, there's just five. I had six, but I dropped it off. God's grace alone has the power to cure us of our glory dysfunction. In amazing grace, Jesus came to this earth willingly on a glory rescue mission. And because he did, there's hope for you and me. Last question, I'll wind it up. How do we give him glory? What is the meaning of glory? Why is glory important? How do we give him glory? How do we do that? <clears throat> well, we have examples all through Scripture. But my favorite is 1 Chronicles chapter 16. 1 Chronicles chapter 16. This is when King David, who is known for his worship of God, is bringing the Ark of the Covenant into the prepared place, into Jerusalem. And we have David's song of praise. And I would encourage you to find some time, maybe this afternoon, to go and read 1 Chronicles 16. These are some things we are instructed to do. 
Give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Rejoice. Seek the Lord. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And he is to be feared above all gods. The Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his place. I could go on reading more, but you get the idea, right? Live in such a way that seeks the Lord, that praises the Lord, that declares his name and his works to all people. This is how we give him glory. And basically it gets summed up in verse 28 and 29. Listen to these words. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Two things. Two things in how you bring glory to God's name. First of all, you ascribe glory to him. That means to assign, to attribute, to give credit Give credit where credit is due. That is to God, right? Can you think of anybody else credit is due to for your life and for your salvation? You can't even pat yourself on the back for your salvation. God is the one who did it. Ascribe glory to Him. I like what the message by Eugene Peterson, it's a paraphrase of Scripture, how he described or what he used here instead of the word ascribe. He said, shout bravo to God. Shout bravo to him for what he has done and for who he is. Live every day shouting bravo to his name for he has done excellent things for you and for me. But not only ascribe to him, assign to him, shout bravo to him, also bring an offering to him. That's what David said under the inspiration of the Spirit. Bring an offering. What does it mean to bring an offering? Well, you and I know one very practical thing about that is, is to bring your tithes and offerings to him, right? Drop it in the offering plate. Put it in the offering box. But that's not all here. The idea of bringing an offering all through Scripture is this. It is not just the giving of what you have. It's the giving to God of who you are. Before you give God your money, give God your heart. Before you give God an offering, give God an offering of yourself. Surrender your life to Him. Sacrifice your life to Him. Give yourself, say, Lord, here I am. Take me and use me any way that you want to use me. Give yourself to the Lord, your heart, your soul, your work, your hobbies, your activities, your ambitions, your plans, and all the rest. Give it to the Lord and let God do with it and with you what he wants to do. That's how we do that. Give God yourself, then give God your stuff. Okay? That's what it means. It means to listen to Him. To agree with Him. To submit to Him. To obey the commands He's given in His Word. To follow in the footsteps of Jesus. He said in John 14, If you love me, you will obey what I command. 
What is glory? It's a truth, a theme of all of Scripture. It is to recognize the weight and the esteem and the, and the greatness, the magnificence of who God is. And then to give Him praise and glory as a result. Why is it important? Because we were hardwired for it. We're wired up that way. But it all gets so misdirected because we aim all of our ideas and, and things of glory to the world. We have those that we worship, the athletes that we worship, the stars that we worship, the great people of this life that we lift up and put on pedestals, the putting up of ourselves on a pedestal. All of this is sin. It is, a, it, it is to distort glory and move it in the wrong direction, to take our eyes off of God and put it on people. How do we give Him glory? How do we live it out? We shout bravo to His name every day. We praise Him. We thank Him. We make a decision, I'll never eat another meal without first of all thanking you for it because God, everything comes from you. It means that we not only ascribe to Him His worth, but it means that we bring an offering of ourselves and of what we have to the Lord. Now, Georgia, put that picture back up on the screen if you can get back to it, please. Listen to this. John Piper says this about God's glory. God's own glory is uppermost in his own affections. In everything he does, his purpose is to preserve and display that glory. To say his glory is uppermost in his own affections means that he puts a greater value on it than on anything else. He delights in his glory above all things. The Lord will go to great lengths for His people, for you and me. But He will never sacrifice His glory for you, for me, or for the whole human race. Everything He's ever done is for His glory in this world. Two verses I'll leave with you. I want you to see this picture in a different way. David Boat is the center of all glory in that picture. Thousands of adoring fans cheering for him. His teammates cheering for him and waiting to meet him. And to pat him on the back. To hit him on the top of the head on the helmet. To tell him how great he is. But I want you to see that picture in a different way. Because I keep that picture on my computer. And every time I see it, I think of something else. I think of somebody who has lived all their life for the glory of God, who's been willing to make sacrifices and not quit, who's been willing to seek to do everything God has ever asked them to do, to go wherever God ever asked them to go, to pay whatever price God has ever asked him to pay, who's been willing, willing, not as a perfect person, but as a sinful man or woman, to just be the person in this world to give glory to God. And I think of that person because most of them are in absolute anonymity. They never receive any praise. They never receive any credit, but that's okay because it's all for God. And I see that person rounding third base in this life. In full stride for the finish line knowing that at the finish line there are some family members who are already there 
There are brothers and sisters in Christ who have run the race before them. Some of them we've never met in this life because they've lived in other ages, but they're immortalized in God's Word, Hebrews chapter 11. And we have worked and suffered at times and sacrificed, but as we make our way down the home stretch towards the Lord, we know that there are those waiting for us, and more than anything else, Jesus is there with open arms, ready to welcome us into glory, to be a participant with Him in His glory, to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, enter now into the joy of the Lord. Receive now your full inheritance of everything that I bought for you and paid for you with my life. And with that thought and that picture in mind, 1 Corinthians 6 says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So therefore, glorify God in your body. And 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Amen. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for your glory. A glory that was before time began. A glory that fills the universe. A glory that fills this earth. A glory that points us towards you, but so often we cannot see you for looking so intently at ourselves. Father, help us to take our eyes off of me and fix our eyes on Thee, the only one who gave His life for us. May we live for You every single day. May we live for Your honor and Your glory. And may we be faithful to the finish line so that one day we'll come into Your amazing presence and be welcomed and greeted there. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our heart's desire is that you grow and understand the direction God has for you in your life. We hope that by listening today, you are one step closer to discovering that for yourself. If you live in Northwest Arkansas and are looking for a church to call your own, we invite you to reach out to us at Calvary as we study and serve together. We meet for worship at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas. If you wish to find out more information about Calvary Church or simply contact us, you can do that through our Facebook page or at calvaryfayetteville.com. Until next time, remember that God, His Word, and His people can provide direction for life.